First of all, I speak from not being a great defensive player but having championship experience. I know what the hell I'm talking about. The others got to step up, period. I don't give a damn what you're talking about. Hey, listen, listen. Rob, hook me up, Rob. Hey, listen, let me tell you Hook something. me up, Rob. They, they Big shot, Bob. I appreciate you. B. Shaw, Robert Ory, Jason, uh, uh, James Posey. Don't forget Thanks Colbin for Dwayne Wade. up when I got double, triple teams. <laughs> don't get Colbin Dwayne Wade carrying your fat ass. I don't know what the hell you're uh, talking so about. So listen. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. It is Friday, August 14th. 2020. As always, I'm your host, The Pody. Let's break it down for you. We've got a lot of NBA action from last night. That clip at the top of the show that you just heard right there was the NBA on TNT crew during halftime of the Portland Trailblazers and Brooklyn Nets game. That was comedy gold. They also went at each other, did Charles, Barkley, and Shaq after the game. It was just comedy, pure comedy relief and and comic gold. Um, Those two were just really pouring it in on each other. So I thought I would throw that at the top of the show, just lighten it up. I always try to bring a funny clip to to start off the show. But, um, and before, actually, before I forget, before we dive in, because we do have a lot going on. Um, it's just before 4.30 Eastern on this Friday afternoon. I want to try to get this show done by about 5 or 6 o'clock, get this, you know, post-edited real quick and, and get it up and, and running so you guys can listen to it throughout the night, weekend, et cetera, et cetera. We've got Yankees-Red Sox, greatest rivalry in sports coming up, four-game series tonight. But the main thing is, of course, the NBA. And we're going we're gonna to start with that. But really, really, really quickly, I'm just going to uh, uh, go over something. I read a really interesting book. I just finished it yesterday. It has to do along the lines of sports. Um, it is called The Biggest Bluff by Maria Konnikova. She is a Russian psychologist. Well, she's American-Russian. Um, been over in the U.S. since she was a little girl. But um, very super smart you know, Harvard educated, PhD, all this sort of, that sort of thing. And she decided to test an experiment. She wanted to learn how to become a professional, basically a WSOP winner, like a World Series of Poker, for those of you that don't really know the lingo. Um, and that's like professional uh, poker world. And so she goes to this professional, one of the best in the world, Eric Seidel. Uh, quick side note, one of the best players ever, Phil Ivey. My dad coached him in basketball in high school briefly. Um, I believe he he also told him he would never make anything of his life, but that's another story. My brother actually told me that last week. Don't know how true that is, but such is the story. Anyway, I digress. Back to this book. So she knows a nothing, has zero clue. Does it, She claims that before she started this experiment, she didn't even know how many cards were in a full deck. 52 is is the correct answer. And for all you kids that might be listening out there, if someone tells you or asks you if you want to play 52 card pickup, say no, because that literally means they drop all the cards on the floor and you have to pick them up. I've learned that the hard way as well. But anyway, very intriguing book. She goes to Eric Seidel in New York. That's where she lives. That's where he's based out of. 
and he becomes her coach and he teaches her how to play poker. She comes over on the path train to, to New Jersey, Jersey City, uh, Hoboken area because in the legality issues in New York, you can't play. But in New Jersey, you can just come on over, um, get into, you know, like a Starbucks, any cafe, hop online on the Internet. And you could start playing, say, Poker Stars or, well, you know, whatever these sites are for money. And she would start with, like, you know, these $40 games, et cetera, et cetera. She'd film herself. Then she'd take it back to New York. They'd go over it. She would slowly but surely learn these things. She'd talk to other pros along the way. I kid you not, within one year, she won a huge tournament down in the Caribbean because he had her. He was taking her to Monte Carlo, like all over the world, Vegas mostly, obviously. And in one year, she won a, it's called like, I don't know, I think like the PNC or, or something event. I don't know what it stands for. I forget. In the Down in the Caribbean with some legitimate pros in the circuit. And she hit, she won. She was a little bit lucky as well, but you, you sort of learn over throughout the course of this book because she, you know, she knows psychology, human behavior. She starts to use that. She starts to, whereas a lot of these up and coming poker pros during tournaments, they're sitting on their phone, they're watching sports game, you know, checking sports scores, all that stuff. She's focused, dialed in, watching each and every poker player to pick up on tells, to pick up on when they are, you know, when they're being extremely aggressive are they bluffing most of the time or do they usually have something and maybe you should fold in a certain hand she picked up on hand movements cues all that stuff and the way that men were treating her as a woman how they would play against her she started to realize at the beginning she was getting conned a lot of times by people that would pretend to be nice to her and then she would think oh well they're not bluffing me and then boom they would bluff her out of all of her money and so she learned those things and within one year she won that tournament down in the Caribbean for like $85,000. And before you knew it, she was on every magazine cover. Everybody was interested in her story. This nobody psychologist, you know, she was a, she was writing a book. This was her experiment. And that just became the narrative that this person, that this news writer, I think she, she wrote for one of the papers, like Newsweek or, or Daily News, one of those places in New York, freelance writer. And that's what she, her main thing was and what she loved to do. And now all of a sudden poker stars wanted to sponsor her and something she was only set out she only set out to do for about a year she decided okay you know i could really do this i'm making money doing this i'm sort of successful and she was stuck on the premise that this was a fluke that maybe she got lucky and this was her only win so she needed to see if she would be able to continue to win then she wins a, well she comes in second somewhere else on a european uh uh place a european tour event and she hits that for $25,000. Now the book kind of ends in a weird spot where she is um, getting ready for the WSOP. She does end up placing um, the next, the following turn after the year. She did horrible in the first one that she set out for, but she cashes in the next one, nothing great or anything, but she does cash in the WSOP. That was her goal. But then where she starts, she's living in the summer in Vegas with her husband and she she's not feeling good after a long night of playing. She wakes up, gets in the shower, and she has sort of she she always had migraine issues, but not to to drag this on any longer. This is the last bit. But she gets out of the shower and she starts to like fall over, and she she loses her eyesight, and she's having trouble seeing. And she's luckily able to call for her husband, and they get her onto the couch where there's you know close uh, to the windows with sunlight, 
Within like 20 minutes, her eyesight starts to come back. She panics, obviously, because she's really scared. She doesn't know what just happened. And she goes, gets MRIs, MRAs, all this stuff done. And they just feel that it's maybe just a really bad migraine. And then it sort of just ends after that. I had to look her up. I looked her up this morning because I was curious and my buddy was asking me about it. And it turns out her career winnings are 311, just over $311,000. So I know she said she was never going to give up writing, but I'm curious. I wonder if she's actually still playing because this book started out in 2016 or 17, and it worked its way all the way up to about 2019. So it's only about last year. And last summer was during the um, the WSOP. It's always in the summer, and that's when she had, you know, cashed in it. So just a cool story. If any of you are looking for something to read, you know, sports people out there probably love to play poker, love to gamble. Uh, it's called The Biggest Bluff by Maria Konnikova. It's not too long, uh, pretty good. I'm, I actually just started a new book. I like to read books that um, they're being made into movies because I love the visuals of it to see how it plays out and how they they envision it. New one called The Reincarnationist Papers. It's being turned into a movie with Mark Wahlberg, you know, something out there if you guys want to check that out as well. But back to sports. I said we were going to dive into the NBA, and we will. But first, we're going to start with some golf. And we'll start with the PGA Championship because what a weekend it turned out to be. Dustin Johnson held the 54-hole lead by just one stroke going into Sunday. It was a mishmash. Guys, 7, 8, 9, 10 guys all within one or two strokes of each other. Dustin Johnson, you saw him quickly start to fade. And it's very funny because I played golf myself on Sunday with my buddies early in the morning, and it hadn't started yet. And on my way home, I, I'm talking to my dad. I call him. And I said, I actually like Colin Morikawa, swear to God, because I know he was the only one that had a little bit of experience with this course. And sure enough, the friggin' kid, 23 years old, he goes out there and the final two rounds, Saturday and Sunday, he shoots, what, 65 and 64 or vice versa? I mean, just ridiculous. And if you know golf and you watch this kid swing the golf club, my goodness, is he technically sound. So super duper smooth. I'm going to play a little bit tomorrow um, and I've got to fix up my swing. My driver was all over the place. I can hit it. I can hit it pretty far um, for my size and everything, but I just am losing that consistency. I'm going to start, I'm going to change up my swing a little bit and hopefully I can, uh, you know, get my game back a little bit because you know, once I can get that driver down pat solidly, it's, you know, I got new clubs now, but then I think I'll be good. But yeah, Morikawa, man, he, he just unbelievable. He's the next, there's so many good golfers out there right now. And what he was able to do, he finishes, I think 13 under to get the win. And uh, Tiger had a nice day. I think he finished, he finished a tournament one under, which was like, I want to say like top 30, I think, but um Maybe he dropped down a little bit, but he he, he fired a, a final round, I think 67, so not too shabby. And then he's going to get ready for the Masters. And speaking of the Masters, the big news out this week in the golf world is that the the announcement of the Masters will be played without fans in attendance. Um, I don't think there's really too much of a surprise at that announcement per se. 
Uh, you've got the Wyndham Championship going on right now, but most of the main guys have taken off. I know Tiger's not playing in this, obviously. He's got to pick and choose his battles uh, with his back and his health and everything, and you know he's going to work and try to get ready for the Masters, maybe playing one or two more tournaments leading up to that. I'm not entirely too sure. But that's your, you know, that's your quick, easy golf update for all you golf lovers out there. It's that time of year with the summer and everything. But it was a blast to watch that unfold at the end. And I wish I would have bet Morikawa on that last day. Okay, um, let's get into the NBA. Finally, I know that's all anybody wants to talk about. I had intended to talk about the the week's games leading up to yesterday, but none of that matters right now. It's a moot point. Uh, So we're just going to jump ahead to, um, to basically yesterday. But real quick, before I get to that, um, Russell Westbrook is going to miss the start of the playoffs. He suffered a strained right quad three games into the restart. Remember, he was late getting to the restart because he had COVID. So don't know if that played a role in that injury. Uh, He did return on Tuesday and felt fine, but woke up sore on Wednesday. And now they're saying he could miss multiple games of this first round series, which is quite interesting because guess what? They're playing against his former team where he played his whole career, OKC. And wow, would that be something if... CP3, who was traded from the Rockets to OKC to basically no man's land. When he got traded to the Thunder, everybody was saying like they're going to buy him out so he could go where he wants because that team is so bad. And look at them now in the 4-5 matchup right there with the Rockets. So that, to me, is the biggest buzzworthy series in the first round that we're going to see. So uh, I look forward to that. Um, Next up, the... San Antonio Spurs, for the first time in 23 years, will miss the postseason. They will not be playing in the postseason. Yes, you heard that correctly. 23 years just uh, just goes to prove and show what a great coach Greg Popovich uh, is and, uh, you know, how that team has performed, how steady they've been for, for two decades plus. Um, but it came down to the wire for the final spot in the Western Conference, the final eight seed. The Grizzlies went into the restart. They had the best season of all of these teams vying for that final spot, and they come into the bubble, and they were lackadaisical. They were sluggish. They lost one of their stars, second-leading scorer, Jaron Jackson Jr. We all know that, but they quickly found themselves almost immediately playing for their playoff lives because you had teams like the Phoenix Suns who just would not lose a game. A team that only had one televised game all season long getting zero respect with Devin freaking Booker, one of the best young bright stars this game has seen in a while. And then there's, of course, the Portland Trailblazers with probably the most talent for for a team that I just don't understand how this team it was on the verge of missing the postseason coming into the bubble, how they were not a four, five, three, three, four, five seed really is what they should be. You've got the likes of Damian Lillard, Dame Dalla. You've got CJ McCollum. Uh, I mean, that is an insane backcourt right there. Then they add Mello. We all know the history of Mello and how good he has been. And they've got bigs galore. They've got, you know, Yusuf Nurkic back. They've got Zach Collins. They've got Hassan Whiteside. 
I mean, this is this team is just nice. Granted, Rodney Hood out hurt, but they've got Gary Trent hitting threes here and there. Uh, they've got a solid team. So they go down the stretch. They're five and two headed into last night, and they've got the inside track. So all they have to do is beat the Nets, and they are in. Well, that was the last game of the day, so let's back it up just a little bit. We're going to start with the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, who, again, they started as the eight seed. Now they find themselves on the outs because they are one and uh, six. Yeah, one and six so far in the bubble up until yesterday's game. And we all know John Morant, what he's been for that team, you know, got them in contention to make the playoffs all season long. And they need a win desperately yesterday facing the Milwaukee Bucks. So what does John Morant do? Well, he goes out there and he balls out, baby. He drops that triple-double. And not only does he drop a triple-double, but teammate Jonas Valanciunas drops a triple-double as well. They are the first pair of Grizzlies teammates to have both have triple-doubles in the same game. They obliterated uh, the Bucks. 119 to 106. Quick note, Giannis not playing in this game. So yes, they should win that game. Uh, they were playing for more than the Bucks were. Uh, Giannis out because he headbutted Mo Wagner in the previous game and he was suspended for the final seeding game there. So Grizzlies now in this play-in series. Next up, the red hot, literally Phoenix Suns. They are on fire. They're the Suns, right? absolutely incredible what this team has done. Besides Devin Booker, there's not a whole lot of guys on this team that you can name. Yeah, Cam Johnson, uh, you know, you've got the likes uh, of, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Big man, um, drawing a blank on his name. Oh my God, this is pretty sad. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank, but uh, Mikhail Bridges they've got. DeAndre Ayton, that's the one I was thinking of. Of course, you know the whole scandal surrounding him being paid at Arizona, all that good stuff there, right? Ricky Rubio, of course. But this this team just came out on absolute fire in the bubble. They beat the Dallas Mavs, who, again, not playing for too much, locked into that seven seed. Um they wouldn't have their star, Luka Doncic, for the second half, just decided to rest him there. So another team, they finish the Phoenix Suns. They finish 8-0. Devin Booker, if you've been watching him, just absolutely ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, Um, making shots from almost half court, just dunks with his offhand, uh, posterizing players. He finished this one 27 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists. And again, the Suns finish 8-0, and but guess what? They still needed the Portland Trailblazers to lose in order to have a chance. They win this one over the Mavs, 128-102. Monty Williams, the Suns, excuse me, head coach, he was proud of his guys no matter the outcome, no matter the finish to the season. Take a listen to what he had to say. I don't care what happens. God knows I hope we get a chance to, to keep shocking the world, because that's what you did. Nobody believed we'd come, you know, we'd come here and go 8-0 and, and beat the teams we beat. But just know, man, this is special, okay? I want you guys to know that. I don't care what happens, right? This is special. Don't let anybody take this away from you. You gain the respect of the league. 
Yeah, just unbelievable that this team, just out of nowhere, they are the only team to go 8-0. and And just to see them, you know, possibly not make the playoffs at this point yesterday is just harsh, and it's tough. And, of course, you know, the Suns and even the Grizzlies, because, you know, if Portland were to lose last night, then the Grizzlies jump ahead into that eight seed and they have the inside track with the play-in series. So just a lot going on there. And then finally, we get to the final game of the night, the Nets and the Portland Trailblazers. And my, oh my, it was one of the best games of the bubble thus far. It came down to the wire, back and forth contest. I'm so mad at myself because my brother had texted me earlier and he, him and his wife were possibly thinking about betting Damian Lillard to hit 10 three-pointers in the game at plus 2,000. They had some bonus money in DraftKings. I told them absolutely not. He hit nine the previous game with 61 points. I'm like, there's no way that's happening again. Well, he did go out and hit eight of them, so I was a little nervous with like seven minutes left. He had eight threes, but uh, they started just playing a box and one did the Nets and just double-teaming him over half court. So we just had to give the ball up immediately. But I mean, the Nets were plus 10 and a half, plus 11 at game, at tip. And I was hesitant because I didn't know the Nets are locked into the seven seed to face the Toronto Raptors in the first round. I did not know if my Nets were going to play the, you know, got likes of the likes of Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, Jarrett Allen, all these guys. I was not sure. But right before tip, they announced all these guys were going to play. They would return because they didn't play in the last game. And I should have, I should have bet it because my instincts are on point. This Nets team, besides one or two games here and there, um, coming in, they were five and two, which miraculously enough, uh, um, unbelievable. They they got blown out in the first game by the Magic, and then they got, and really that was a twenty point loss. But they came back at the end, and the Magic played sloppy. They cut it to like ten, and then you had the uh, one Boston game that they just got blown out in. But otherwise, they beat the Bucks. They dominated the Bucs pretty much, putting up 40 points in the first quarter. They obliterated the Clippers in the first quarter, scoring 45. A team that I thought would come into the bubble and play much like the Pelicans, not really play for much and just slide their way into the playoffs. My God, this team has been more fun to watch than any Nets team I've watched in the last probably five years. I, I mean, that's, I'm being dead serious. Just because this team, and Shaq said it best, he's like, this Brooklyn Nets team is going to win a first-round series because they don't know that, you know, it's just a bunch of mishmash guys. They don't really know that they're supposed to lose. You know, they're the underdog, and they're using that, and they're playing so well. So I should have I taken my gut feeling and bet the Nets. I didn't. This game was a one-possession game throughout, okay? And, you know, you have... I tweeted this out too during the game because you had CJ McCollum, who I don't even understand how this is possible, was playing the game, played throughout the game with a broken bone in his back. Just unreal what these athletes go through sometimes. Um, and then you had Damian Lillard. Those are two of the best guards in the game. And then my guy, Karis LeVert, who people are starting to finally see emerge as a superstar player. And that was the always the hope coming out of Michigan, a guy with some injury issues. They were able to snag him, uh, take a flyer on him in the 20, like 20th pick or so, right around that area, 21st pick. 
and they molded him for years. And now, because he's not playing behind Kyrie, because he's not playing behind Spencer Dinwiddie, because those guys are out with COVID issues or, or injuries, whatever, he is shining, and the whole world is taking notice. And come November, when this restart happens, the next the new season, Kyrie, KD, and Karis LeVert throw in Spencer Dinwiddie. That is a deadly four right there. Jared Allen as a center, solid. You've got... Joe Harris, one of the most lethal three-point shooters in this game, led the led the uh, the association in three-point percentage in 2019, a year ago, won the three-point contest. He's been on fire lately. Uh, they've just got these no-names, Luau Cabarro, uh, you know, Tyler Johnson, just guys, uh, Chris Chioza, and, and just guys coming out of nowhere and just getting the job done for the Nets. So this one was so freaking entertaining i mean my god even if you don't like basketball you were entertained by this game and it was just like i said it was a back and forth game all throughout and um they i halftime i want to say it was like a one point one point game one possession game at halftime um and or the nets trailed by by a few points i think the nets trailed i want to say by six at half well, pick it up in the third quarter. The Nets outscore the Trailblazers 37-24, and they took like a seven-point lead. It was their largest lead of the game was seven. And that's when Dame Dalla, or Damian Lillard, as he's best known by, decided, I'm not going to let my season go to waste. I am not going to be eliminated tonight. And he goes berserk. My brother had been texting me. He's like, how many threes does he have? It was like four at that point. Next thing you know, bang, 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 bang. All of a sudden, Damian Lillard, seven minutes left. He's up to eight threes. And my God, he drib- he knew he was going to get you know trapped at midcourt. So he dribbled up when he had the one opening or one or two openings. He just chucked it. And he looked smooth, shooting it from the logo not literal half court but he was standing on the logo we're talking 40 plus feet it was absurd listen to the reaction from from Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller a hall of fame three-point shooter himself so for him to react this way you know it's something special it's a rare miss he was six of nine Oh my Look goodness. at this shot by oh Lillard. I mean, they, they were just as shocked as everybody else. The fact that he even attempted the shot, number one, but the fact that he made it, you know, he put it in and drained it, making it look so effortlessly. We all know Steph Curry's got unbelievable range, but I mean, uh, I forget who said, I think Kenny the Jet Smith said it last night um, that. You know, we know Steph can shoot it from that range, but not even Steph makes it look that effortless. And, and uh, Damian Lillard said, you know, he's been practicing this. He told head coach Terry Stotts, you know, he's going to start shooting these, you know, taking these shots. And he wasn't kidding. And eventually the Nets had to go to that box and one and really get the ball out of his hands. And the dagger really, with about two minutes left, um, they kicked it out to Mello and he made a big three-pointer. It was like his first bucket since like the first quarter, I want to say. And then the Nets got a little bit sloppy at the end. They, uh, they tar- Karis LeVert turned it over. Damian Lillard got a steal, which I'm still calling a foul. I think it was an absolute missed call. I think everybody was pulling for the Trailblazers 
And I, I want to say it was probably a reach-in foul. And if it's the reverse roles, Karis LeVert doing that to Damian Lillard, I don't think he gets, you know, the same privilege there. And they call that. Uh, but I have to respect it because, you know, he did steal the ball from him, right? And so the Nets found themselves after McCullum hit a dagger shot to put them up by, I want to say, yeah, put them up by four. I really would have liked to see the Nets foul in that situation and force one of these guys to make a free throw, uh, two free throws. But then Karis LeVert, who was just, I mean, I tried to get at this before and then I started to go all over the place. But I tweeted earlier in the night because Karis LeVert was dominating. I said, I said, Damian Lillard. I No, I said, I give you Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and I raise you Karis LeVert because he had himself a night. He didn't lead all scores. Of course, that went to Dame, who went off at the end. But he did finish with 37 points, 6 rebounds, and 9 assists. And he willed his team back into the game. And when they're down 4 with like 30 seconds left, you think it's over. They probably need a 3 because if you hit the 2 only, and then they come back down and hit you know both free throws, you're back down by uh, 4 again. Well, what does he do? He drives the lane in between two defenders, takes it right at Yusuf Nurkic, who, my God, talk about a guy that was soft on that play. You have to hammer him no matter what. You can't let him get an and one, and guess what he does? And one, Karis LeVert puts them down by one. They get the ball back, down one, final seconds, and they just, they they isoed, they tried to ISO uh, Karis LeVert. There was no high pick and roll with Jared Allen. There was no, you know, the Nets, who are one of the uh, most lethal three-point shooting teams in, in, in the NBA, they shoot the most, you know, they're one of the highest shooting teams. You would have thought they maybe would would use Karis as a decoy, maybe drive and kick, or at least drive. There was none of that. He went one-on-one with C.J. McCollum guarding him. Everybody stood back and he tried this. He got separation, don't get me wrong, but he tried this step back jumper um, from just inside the arc and it, it just clanked off the rim. But what I don't like about the possession is you're down by one. You have to try to get up a shot with time left on the clock because even if you make it and give yourselves the lead, that's the chance you take and there, then it gives the Blazers some time left. But you have to give yourself a chance at at least an offensive rebound and there was none of it. And so the Blazers win 134 to 131. And I mean, 134 to 133, excuse me. Damian Lillard would finish the night with 42 points, three rebounds, and 12 assists. It was an absolute thriller of a game throughout. And I watched just about every minute of it. So to recap everything, the Phoenix Suns go 8-0 and are unfortunately eliminated from the playoffs. This marks the longest winning streak to finish a season by any team that missed the playoffs in NBA history. It's got to be a heartbreaker for the Phoenix Suns. But Devin Booker is becoming a free agent. So, hey, there's hope for Knicks fans. Who knows where he'll end up, right? Um, The Grizzlies will now play the Trailblazers, Portland Trailblazers, in a play-in game starting tomorrow. Here's how this works. If the... If the uh, Trailblazers win, because right now, by percentage points, they're half a game up on the, excuse me, I said, uh, yeah, tomorrow. The Portland Trailblazers just have to win this game. If they win, they're in as the eight seed and will face the Lakers, which I, if you're the Lakers, you can't feel too good about tra- having to face Damian Lillard. That, he's going to give you a run for your money in, in, in itself. But they will play this game at 2.30. Portland is six-point favorites. Honestly, 
Um, I don't see this as much of a game. The Grizzlies are banged up. They limped into this play-in game. They have to win two games, okay? So not only do they have to win tomorrow, they uh, Saturday, they have to win probably Sunday as well, if that's when the game will be. I'm not too sure. But Portland right now opens as six-point favorites. I like those odds uh, because the Grizzlies, they had the second-worst record in the entire bubble. They they were 6-2. and two. Um, So very interesting. But here is Damian Lillard. His outlook on what to expect going forward, and you know how his emotions are running. It's a lot riding on these games, so you know it's almost like every game that we've been playing our last three, four games has been like our season is on the line. So once you get to the playoffs, obviously the urgency and the care is going to be there, but you're not going into it like, all right, if we lose this one game, one, we're going home. Yeah, and the NBA announced, I think, last week that they are earlier this week that they plan on handing out bubble awards. If Damian Lillard does not win bubble MVP, uh, then shame on them. I mean, Devin Booker, what he did was spectacular as well, but Damian Lillard willed this team uh, into the playoffs. And if you remember back when they were starting the bubble, Damian Lillard came out against it and he said, I'm not doing this unless I have a chance at the playoffs. And boy, does he ever have a chance at the playoffs now because win tomorrow and they are in. And I might take all signs would point towards you don't take in a, in a you know, a one game playoff type play in game. The, a spread of six seems like a lot, but I'm telling you right now, the Grizzlies are probably going to get shelled by at least 10 points. I don't think this one is really going to be close to be, to be quite honest. Um, I know the Blazers don't play a whole lot of defense, but the Grizzlies don't either, and that's you know that's the style of play in today's game. So I just think that the Grizzlies are you know on the outs looking in, and here's their head coach uh, Taylor Jenkins on how his team has played and what they need to do to give themselves a chance at the Lakers. We did enough you know to get uh, to this play-in series. Uh, it's going to be exciting for us. So for us, we're never satisfied. You know, I said you guys always know what I'm going to say next. We got to play better. Yeah, um, he's taking a much more positive approach to it um they did enough but did they really uh i'd argue that they didn't do enough because if they did enough then they would have secured the eight seed not the nine seed and would not have to win two games as opposed to one game and there is some weed whacking or uh grass cutting mowing outside my my window and it is so loud and I hope my equipment and everything is good enough to drown that out so you don't hear it. My noise gate is pretty good and everything. Um, so hopefully you guys do not hear that. I've had to deal with it somewhat in the past, but it just seems extremely loud right now. So I do apologize for that. People love to cut their grass on Fridays after work or Saturday mornings. It's just the absolute worst in my neighborhood. But anyway, with that being said, let's move on okay last little bit for uh nba is today it was announced that the bulls have fired head coach jim boylan he finished his tenure with a measly 39 and 84 record which is good for a 317 win percentage that is second worst among coaches in bulls history guys only excuse me only tim floyd who went 49 and 190 in three plus years after Michael Jordan retired in 1998, 
had a worse winning percentage than Boylan. And this is something amazing that I heard as well today. A possible coaching candidate to replace Jim Boylan, whose name has been floating out there, Mark Jackson. Somebody that I so desperately want to come and coach the Brooklyn Nets. But, you know, his name is not floating out there really for the Knicks job or the Nets job or, you know, any of these other jobs. Well, the Nets, what am I saying? The Knicks already hired Tom Thibodeau, but his name I don't think was even really associated to that. And I don't understand what happened with Mark Jack. Great announcer, of course, great player in his day as well. But he took this Warriors team that is Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. He molded them into a championship winning team. He should have gotten rings. And he should have gotten all the credit that Steve Kerr got because really this was his team. And I know there was some weird, ill-gotten feelings there and, and some stuff behind the scenes that we don't really know about that supposedly happened. But Mark Jackson, my God, this man needs another another chance at a head coaching job, okay? And, and I love that man. And I, I think he is a great, great basketball mind. And I would love to see him coach uh, – in the NBA again, I would love to see him coach the Nets. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to come down to, you know, Jason Kidd, or, you know, or one of these other guys whose names is floating out there. Probably Ty Lue is really who Kyrie wants. But yeah, good, good for Mark Jackson. I hope he gets the job. And with that being said, you know, the NBA playoffs are just about set. I There's a couple games on tonight, actually. You have the Pacers and the Heat. They're playing currently. Oh, my God. The Pacers are up 14 at uh, with eight minutes left in the second quarter. But uh, I think that's the only matchup left that has to determine seeding. And that's between those two, uh, the Heat and Pacers, for 4-5. They're the 4-5. and five, And I think today we'll decide who gets 4, who gets 5. They play each other anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And then there's, like, uh, one more uh, there's the Thunder and the Clippers and the Sixers and the Rockets also play tonight, but I don't think those games even matter. So, you know, nothing, no need to really pay attention or watch those games. And let's jump right into some, uh, college football really quick. Um, I've got to get to this. Of course, the big, the big announcement this week was that the Big Ten and Pac-12 have postponed or canceled their fall seasons for all their fall sports, but obviously football being the big one. They're going to try to kickstart those back in in the spring, possibly. Um, just very interesting because a couple of coaches, namely in the Big Ten, were advocating for playing a football season. Here, here's Here's some audio of that. Let me find. Uh, here you go. They really want a chance to play. Now, they want to have a voice. They want to choose. And that's all the information they've been giving me. So I think it's my job as the head coach to advocate for them. They feel like they're safer here in our facility playing football than they would be without it. Our university is committed to playing no matter what, no matter what that looks like and how, how that looks. We want to play no matter who it is or where it is. We certainly hope it's in the Big Ten. If it isn't, I think we're prepared to look for other options. Now, that was Ryan Day, head coach of Ohio State, and Scott Frost, head coach from Nebraska. Now, Scott Frost got a lot of backlash for the for the last few comments that he made there, talking about looking elsewhere, meaning going outside of the Big Ten. Um, 
first of all, I don't know that that's even possible to to leave the conference and do that. But they had to end up they ended up like a day or two later releasing a statement saying, uh, no, we're committed to the Big Ten. We support the Big Ten like we're going to do what we're told, all that good stuff. So then the Pac-12, their CEO group met on Tuesday and they voted on the 2020 season and they decided along with the Big Ten to postpone till at least the spring. Interestingly enough, however, all other major conferences, so the other three, the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC, they are moving forward with football. Take a listen. We just believe collectively there's too much uncertainty at this point in time uh, in, in our country and to, to really to encourage our student-athletes to participate in fall sports. The CEO group was unanimous that this resultant decision uh, was necessary. You know, enough questions and concerns uh, had been raised that, uh, and, and answers we need, more time we need, that we didn't feel comfortable uh, moving forward. I apologize that that was the commissioners from the Big Ten and the Pac-12 on their decisions to postpone their uh, their fall seasons. Of course, Rutgers, they had a huge outbreak, my alma mater, huge outbreak of like 30 players. I just heard today on NJ1015 that of all the players, uh, only a f- uh, like half or less than that uh, had any symptoms. Most of them were asymptomatic and two remain in quarantine. But that all stemmed from going to like an off-campus indoor party, which of course caused the spread of it. And, and you know, there's some other teams out there that have been known they've been quarantining and, and uh, all this other stuff. So those two conferences are going to look really, really bad if the other three have a fall season and everything plays out and there's no issues, kind of like maybe in Major League Baseball where there's one or two guys and you separate them or the team doesn't play for a week or so. Um, but yeah, it's they're going to look really bad or really smart when the other conferences have to just cancel their seasons after a week um, when it just spreads like wildfire. But um, because of that, uh, Mark Emery uh, announced that they're uh, Mark Emery. Mark Emmert, the, of course, the... Um, NCAA president, uh, he ruled out any fall championships. He said that um, obviously it's inevitable, right? Because there aren't enough games being played and it's just, it would be watered down anyway with the conferences not getting a chance to play each other with championship games and all that stuff. So no NCAA champ for fall sports there. Um, yeah. And so that's, that was the big news coming out of, you know, college football and the college community. So we'll, we're going to see how this plays out because college football is set to start at the end of the month. Um, they're probably, I think, I want to say they might, that might get pushed back, uh, have been pushed back to early September or mid-September. But hey, it's one of those things that it just remains to be seen and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Okay, let's uh, turn the page and let's get into some baseball. Of course, that's the one sport that's that's been you know, going steady now for a couple of weeks, except sorry for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals who have played just five games this season. I didn't write this down, but I just heard it earlier on the radio on my way home from work. Their schedule has come out. They are going to play starting, I want to say, tomorrow against the White Sox. They will have to play 11 doubleheaders over the next six weeks to make up for lost time. It's just absolutely absurd. 
They are behind the eight ball now, and if they can make the playoffs, my goodness, what a job done that would be. So something they'll look out for. Um, the big news, really, in baseball is the Astros and A's brawl that occurred on Sunday. The benches cleared after Ramon Laureano was hit by a pitch. So let me break this down for you real quick. I'll play John Boy here and read some lips. Now, um, Laureano was hit by a pitch. It was a bad slider. Nothing terrible, right? He gets hit by the pitch, but he was very unhappy. And he looks at the pitcher and he's like motioning to him, like how to, you know, throw the slider properly. And he's like, this is how you do it or whatever. So he goes to first base. And while he's at first base, now the Astros are in the first base dugout. So they're jawing at him and saying the stuff is being said. Out of nowhere, Loriano just charges from first base and rushes the Astros, uh, the Astros bench. And they jump out and they have to hold him down and everything. Well, it gets deeper as you dive into this. Loriano said afterwards that Astros hitting coach Alex Cintron made a defamatory comment about his mother. Uh, which, you know, probably not a good thing to do. Loriano left home when he was just 16 years old to go to the U.S. and pursue his dreams, went to high school, you know, probably lived with uh, people or a family he, had, he didn't even know. So he's been away from his family for 10 years. Granted, he sees his parents, but you can imagine how that uh, set him off talking about his mother like that or his family. He just snapped. Now, Centrone denied the allegations, but let's be real. The MLB, based on their decision and their suspension, we know what he said. They have the uh, the audio. The mics are picking up everything. Uh, Steven Strasburg, I'll get into that, uh, later was ejected yesterday, and we heard exactly what he said, and he was all the way up in the stands. Um, so it's obvious they have the evidence proof. He was suspended 20 games. I mean, a coach is supposed to set the example. So for him to say something like that to a player is absurd. Um, he, so he gets a 20-game uh, suspension, and I think Loriano received a six-game. It might have been reduced to a five-game suspension, I, I, if I remember correctly. Um, now, just more reason to hate the Astros, right? And a little bit even more on that later. Okay, next up, the Toronto Blue Jays. They made some history this week. They are playing their home games, if you will remember, in their AAA affiliate ballpark in Buffalo. They were denied to play in Toronto because of COVID and all that good stuff. This marks the first time in 105 years that three games are being played in the state of New York. Of course, you had the Yankees, the Mets, and the Toronto Blue Jays all at home. The Blue Jays... We're loving it in Buffalo because they hit a home run in six straight innings and hit seven overall, but somehow they still lost to the Miami Marlins, who don't look now, but the Marlins, who were one of those teams that hadn't played a game in forever, now they're back at it. The Miami freaking Marlins, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, coming out of nowhere, they are sitting atop the NL East with an eight and four record, not too shabby. Um, I mean, what more can you ask for? It's just an unbelievable job that they're doing there with a bunch of no-names. Um, so that's cool to see that. Uh, okay. Now, let's talk a, just a little bit more about the Houston Astros and how everybody still hates them, right? Okay. Well, we all know that Joe Kelly 
was ejected earlier in the season for throwing at Carlos Correa, and then he jawed with him, and he, you know, the famous meme where he's like, oh, boo-hoo. Well, he appealed his um, his case, his eight-game suspension, which everybody said was ridiculous. All the players were on his side. He appealed the suspension, and it was heard on Monday, I believe, and his suspension was reduced, in fact, from eight games down to five. Now, that didn't stop Kelly. He didn't take the high road after that. He went on teammate Ross Stripling's podcast, and he dug in on the Astros. Take a listen to some of what he had to say. I followed all the guidelines of the CDC, and people on the other side didn't. I mean, Carlos Correa fucking spit at our team. I don't know if it was me. He spit out of his mouth. But this guy walks over to our dugout and then spits while I follow all the rules, and then I get eight games. But the problem with that with me is that you get immunity and then you rat like a little bitch. That's the problem I have. So there you have it, just totally unfiltered going in. He did continue on to say that manager Dusty Baker even, uh, you know, told him to just shut, shut his skinny uh, butt up and get back on the mound. And he's like, oh, now he's body shaming me. And that's the manager there. And, you know, so, yeah, doesn't make the Astros look good at all. I heard some bad takes on radio about how, you know, this you don't throw a 95-plus at a guy's head like that. He never once even hit Correa. He didn't even hit him. I mean, this is a joke. They cheated. They didn't get any punishment, and the players are pissed. So I have no issue with this. And then when Astros players and their coach, especially one of their coaches, is saying bad stuff about a guy's mother, I mean, shame on this organization. Can we just get to the playoffs and not have the Astros and not talk about them in October? I would love that more than anything. Okay, next up, uh, Mets and Nats. I teased it earlier. Steven Strasburg, he was in fact ejected um, in fashion we've never ever seen before. Uh, we've seen Strasburg before, uh, earlier throughout the season so far. When he's not pitching, he's just chilling by himself up in the stands like a regular old fan with his shorts and his t-shirt and his mask on. Well, in the third inning with the bases loaded, 2-2 count on Pete Alonso. Uh, fastball basically little inside right down the plate. Looked like strike three. Looked like he was going to get punched out. But in fact, it was, a, it was called a ball. Strasburg from the stands began arguing and cursing out the umpire. You could hear it clear as day. The mics absolutely picked it up. And you could hear Ron Darling, Keith Hernandez, and Gary Cohen. You could hear the reaction. Well, sorry, folks. You know, we all heard that one. Uh, that, that goes against FCC rules or whatever. Um, but you could hear it clear as day. And so he gets ejected by the umpire. Gutless move by the ump, of course. And then he just tips his cap and smiles. And off he goes to, I presume, the clubhouse somewhere to uh, watch the game. But very interesting uh, there. So that was a first player being ejected from the stands. The Mets would go on to win this one 8-2. And hey, the Mets have started to turn things around a little bit. They're, they've won four out of their last six, so good for them. And Robbie Cano, hopefully, you know, he gets back soon enough, but I don't think Mets fans really want him back. Jeff McNeil probably going to miss this weekend's series because he uh, crashed into the wall making a beautiful catch out there in left field. Something to watch out for. Also, actually... Before I get to my next uh, point, the, the next, uh, the Dodgers real quick, Jacob deGrom, I just saw, was scratched from tonight's start against the Phillies. They have a uh, series this weekend against the Phillies. 
uh, he was scratched due to neck soreness. So, of course, with these star pitchers, they're going to be extra, extra careful, you know, extremely cautious. So something to look out for, Jacob deGrom scratch from his start tonight. So I feel for anybody that, that decided to bet the Mets with Jacob deGrom on the hill tonight before this news was released. Um, I would cancel that bet and take like what a $3 loss or whatever it is because the Mets are not going to win. Okay, next let's talk Dodgers Padres last night. I was trying to keep an eye on this game, switch back and forth between that and the Nets Blazers game. Well, by the fifth inning, Mookie Betts hit three home runs. Uh, just unbelievable. I think he's now like the youngest player or something to, to hit three home runs in, in uh, not the youngest player, but in seven in just seven seasons, he has hit he has homered uh, three times in a game, um, a, like the most. I can't I can't find out where I saw that, but anyway, um, yeah, he goes four for four, five RBIs, and of course I, I had to be playing him in fantasy in my fantasy league. Uh, I'm steamrolling the guy, and then last night happens, and now I'm only up six four. He's got me on batting average. I'm still up by four home runs. I'm up 20 RBIs and whatnot, but he just made it a little too comfortable for my liking. So hopefully I could step up throughout this weekend and, and beat him up pretty good and get into first place because I'm in second place right now. So that would be awesome. Dodgers go on to win this one 11-2. Everybody, it seemed like, had a hit except my guy Max Muncy on my fantasy team. He's hitting under 180 right now. Uh, I don't know what to do with him. Can't trade him now, but he's on my bench for tonight because I don't really need home runs. I need some stolen bases, hopefully. I'm going to bench him tonight. You know, hopefully he starts to turn things around. Okay. The Yankees got a big series this weekend against the Red Sox. Who knows if we'll see Aaron Judge. A couple games ago, he was pulled in an 8-3 to three game. Uh, they said it was nothing injury related while well, they lied to us because now apparently his whole damn body is injured from the the, the weekend series uh last weekend in uh in Tampa because oh you know his body's hurting and aching and, and whatnot from the artificial turf I mean what is Aaron Judge 25 26 years old he's in the prime of his career DJ LeMay was what 32 years old 31 years old and he's hitting over 400. He could possibly become only the second player in history to hit uh, to win a batting title in both leagues. Could become the first player since uh, Ted Williams to hit 400 in a season. Granted, you know, not 162 games, whatever. But he doesn't seem bothered by any of this. He doesn't take many days off. He's not hurting. He doesn't go on the IL. I get it. Judges six seven, and he, he's just a freak. But come on, man. This is like we need him to play. Like, enough is enough. Stanton goes down. Uh, like, I mean, between the two of them, they miss 100 games a, a season. Uh, like, death and taxes, those are the two guarantees in life. Well, throw in uh, Stanton and Judge getting hurt in a baseball season because that is another guarantee. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's absurd. I mean, they baby these players so much nowadays to the point where they're always resting or they wake up. Jacob deGrom woke up with a sore neck. I mean, doesn't, let's be real. Everybody wakes up with a sore neck or a sore back. You don't, you don't call out of work because of that. I mean, that's literally what they're doing. They're calling out of work. Jacob deGrom is not going to work today to do his job. He's going there to make millions of dollars and watch from a bench. And, and that's it. I, I, I just don't get it. Aaron Judge is a little bit sore. You play through the injuries, okay? Tom Hanks said it so famously in a league of their own. There's no crying in baseball. 
Uh, this is this. I mean, what what is this turning into? It's a sixty game season. Every game counts, and they're resting guys like Glaber Torres needs a day off, or Gary Sanchez needs a day off, or, or you know, come on, man. These guys are in their twenties and thirties. They're peak performance type athletes. They're in the best shape of their lives. You don't need rest. Ask Cal Ripken Jr. if he ever rested. I mean, he probably just just completely and utterly is disgusted when he sees this type of this, this type of stuff, this new age baseball, if you will, and guys constantly getting hurt. Anyway, I I go off sometimes. All right, let's start to wrap this thing up because we're almost at the hour mark, and I was not intending for that. NFL, real quick, just this. This is the, uh, you know, you get the stupid award for the week, guy. An undrafted free agent out of Oklahoma State. I don't even remember his name because he's not worth mentioning by name. Uh, doesn't really matter. Doesn't add any relevance to this. Undrafted out of Oklahoma State. He had signed with the Seahawks at training camp. They're staying at a team hotel somewhere. He gets uh, fired, basically. Cut, dismissed from the team earlier in the week. Because guess what this doofus tried to do? Well, he tried to disguise his lady friend as a football player and sneak her into the hotel so he could get it on. Um, And yeah, he was caught and immediately fired and dismissed from the team. Now, the gall and the, the audacity of somebody who didn't even get drafted, is already on thin ice, has a is a long shot to make the team anyway, and you're going to risk it all for a woman? Come on, man. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're putting your team at, at jeopardy. You're putting, you know, yourself at jeopardy. That's just wrong. And the Seahawks, they did the right thing there, and they fired him on the spot, no less. Okay, uh, last but not least, right before we get to on this date in sports, I just want to uh, say one thing. Donald Trump, President Trump, his younger brother, I just heard today, Robert, I think he's like 72. He is in the hospital in New York. And um, my wor- from what I hear, he is not doing too good. And un- that's unfortunate. I hope it's nothing um, COVID-related, because if it is, his chances are not very great. I know he's a somewhat overweight, but Trump is touched down in New York, and he's going to go and, and see visit him in the hospital. And whether, you know, I don't like to talk politics or anything like that usually, but whether you're for Trump or against him, you know, this is, we're talking about a human being's life. So I wish him all the best. And I hope, you know, he can make a speedy recovery and, and whatnot, because this is the last thing that Trump needs to deal with, with, you know, everything else that's going on in this country. Okay. Last but not least, on this date in sports, August 14th, 2016. So four years ago. Uh, Usain Bolt won gold in the 100 meters for the third straight Olympics, and the one and only Michael Phelps capped his Olympic career by earning his 23rd gold medal. Just a couple of goats doing their thing. So, guys, that's going to wrap up the show. Episode 110 of On This Date in Sports. I hope you guys are enjoying your last couple weeks of summer. Um... I'm going to enjoy the weekend myself. There's baseball. There's basketball. Of course, you've got Dame, uh, Damian Lillard and the uh, Trailblazers taking on the Grizzlies in that playing game tomorrow. You've got Major League Baseball. Of course, tomorrow night is UFC 258. Um, 
Stripe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier. I think this is their third and final bout. Uh, that should be fun. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. There's soccer, I know, going on all weekend long. Um, it's a fun-filled weekend of sports as usual. Baseball, Red Sox, Yankees, don't want to miss that starting tonight. Uh, it should be fun, and I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you guys are too. So with that being said, I am the Pody. You've been listening to episode 110, and I am signing out.